a record number of races, rule changes, and some rookie drivers. 2023 is set to be a pretty interesting year, and it's time for a season preview. So, get ready, because you've been summoned to the steward's office. Hello everyone, and welcome back to the steward's office. I'm Syra, and today we're going to be taking a look at the 2023 F1 season. 2023 is set to hold a record 23 races over the season. That's right, 23. It is a packed out season with new circuits joining the calendar, some returning races, and some missing ones. The calendar was initially meant to have 24 races, but F1 decided to cancel the Chinese Grand Prix because of the country's COVID-19 rules, but we will get into that later. Still though, 23 races feels like a lot. I know that some of the teams and the drivers feel like F1 are pushing the number of races a little too far, and I have to agree with them. Look, I love F1 and I love a race weekend. I wouldn't be hosting this podcast if I didn't. But 23 races feels overwhelming as a viewer and I can't imagine the strain that it must put on the teams and their families by them travelling and working so much. Stefano Domenicali did come out and say that 24 races would be the max amount that he would want on a calendar. But in all honesty, it wouldn't surprise me if they keep trying to push that number higher and push the limit a little bit more. Look, personally, I think 18 races is a really sweet spot for the max amount of races in a season. You can fit in some amazing circuits, go to some great countries, get a really good championship in for the drivers, and still strike a good balance for everyone working in F1 to actually have a break. I do start to wonder whether we're getting the same quality of racing with this amount of races. To expect not just the drivers, but all of the teams to be performing at their peak that frequently is so demanding on the bodies and the minds of everyone working in F1. Mechanics, engineers, PR, team principals, everyone that is involved in F1. To be flying out that frequently building and taking apart the paddocks and the cars, to be competing that much without a break, without a chance to recharge properly, you just have to start wondering where that limit is. But a 23 race calendar is what we're getting and along with it we're getting a brand new circuit. F1 is bringing a third race to the USA in the form of the Las Vegas Grand Prix. This is the first time that F1 is going to Las Vegas since 1982 and it's going to be a night race down the Vegas Strip. I can't lie to you guys, I'm not exactly looking forward to this one. I've seen YouTube videos of people basically doing a sim around what the proposed track is and it didn't look like the most exciting track in the world. At this point, I think I'm more interested and excited about what's going to be happening around the GP because you know that Vegas are going to put on a load of events and F1 are going to want to put on a load of events to celebrate them going out there. So I think I'm more looking forward to seeing all of that than the race itself. 
the sound of a night race down the Vegas Strip sounds insane. It sounds really, really cool. And if you guys saw the Vegas launch, Mick basically put a bunch of lights under their car and it looked so good, like just sleek and elegant and everything that I love about a night race. But I don't know whether it's going to translate well when we actually get to the racing. I don't know whether it's going to kind of live up to the hype. I hope it does, because like I said, it sounds really cool, but it's just seeing whether it translates from paper and from the ideas people have had into an actual good race. Qatar then is making a comeback this year. The last and first time F1 raced at the LaSalle International Circuit was in 2021. Last year they took a break for the World Cup, but we are heading back in 2023. The last time out in Qatar actually gave us a pretty interesting podium with Fernando Alonso managing to get his Alpine into third place and it had been a while since Alonso was last on a podium so I'm really hoping we might get some more interesting action there and some surprise podiums. I actually quite like this circuit to be fair with you, I really like the flow of it so I am looking forward to it coming back. Those are the two races that weren't on the calendar last year that we can expect to see in 2023. But with introducing and reintroducing circuits, we are having to say goodbye to some. Like I mentioned earlier, the Chinese Grand Prix was due to make a comeback this year. The last time we were at the Shanghai International Circuit was back in 2019, and I was really looking forward to going back to the circuit. I love seeing the racing there. When I rewatch old races, it just looks so good to race at. The atmosphere seems amazing, the fans seem so excited, and now that we have our first ever Chinese driver on the grid in the form of Zhou Guanyu, I was just so excited to see the reception he was going to get at his home race. But alas, it's not meant to be this year, and I really am hoping that we get to see this track return in 2024. The other circuit that we had to say goodbye to was Paul Ricard. France is not going to be hosting a Grand Prix this year. With F1 trying to expand its global reach and with DTS helping with the global market that they've got now, they've decided to put some of the European races on rotation to make space for some of the newer circuits that they've now introduced. And Paul Ricard was the first one to go in this rotation. I'll be honest with you guys. I'm not too upset about it. Paul Ricard definitely was not my favourite circuit. It's a car park circuit. I'm not the most excited to see the racing there. So it's not going to be one that I'll miss. But for fans of the French Grand Prix, it doesn't sound like it's ruled out the calendar forever. It's just a circuit that is on rotation. And hopefully we will see it back probably in 2024. This year's calendar also brings along six sprint races. The mini races that are going to set the grid for Sunday's GPs are being held in Azerbaijan, Austria, Belgium, Qatar, the US, more specifically the Circuit of the Americas, and Brazil. I can't lie to you guys, I am not the biggest fan of sprint races. I think that a lot of the drivers don't really want to push too much during a sprint on a Saturday because they don't want to risk wrecking the car before a race on a Sunday and then ending up with a penalty because they've had to replace parts of the car. Saying that though, it 
does look like the FIA are deciding to look into the rules for Park Fermi on sprint weekends. The FIA basically have said that they had a lot of Park Fermi requests between the quali on Friday and the sprint on Saturday, so they want to try and find a way to simplify the process for the teams. I'm not sure what that's going to mean, whether there might be a little bit more leniency on some parts of the setup changes between Friday and Saturday, because there's not a lot of runtime. Most teams basically have FP1 on a Friday morning to nail down their setup, and that's it for the weekend. And normally they'd have three practice sessions before nailing down their setup for quality. So it really is a hit and miss sort of situation. But hopefully we will get some clarity on that soon, and so will the teams, because the first sprint race, like I said, is Azerbaijan, which is the fourth race of the season, so there's not a lot of time, so hopefully, yep, we'll get some word from the FIA about that. I just think that sprints are usually a pretty good way for drivers who might have ended up out of place in quali to make up those spaces and end up where technically they should be given their car on the starting grid on a Sunday. Maybe though, maybe this year the sprints will give us a little bit more drama, especially now that we've got that closer racing with the new aero regs and we'll have a bit more of a mixed up grid. So I'm going to try and not give up hope on the sprints completely and just hope we get some really good action and some really mixed up grids. Whilst there weren't a huge amount of changes on the race calendar, we've got one new circuit, one reintroduced, and two that are missing, there are a lot of changes on the grid. Six teams have decided to change their driver lineups, and we're welcoming three rookies onto the grid, as well as seeing a driver return. So let's see what's going on with the teams. Red Bull, Ferrari, Mercedes, and Alfa Romeo have all opted to keep the exact same driver lineup that they had in 2022. But all of the other teams have ended up changing one of their drivers. McLaren are introducing a rookie into their lineup as Oscar Piastri pairs up with Lando Norris. I think that Oscar's going to be a really interesting driver to see on the grid. He's entering in with an F3 and an F2 championship under his belt that he won consecutively in his rookie years in those championships, but he did have to take a year out in 2022 before coming onto the grid, so I do wonder how that might affect his driving. It might not, we'll have to wait and see. But I am so interested to see where the McLaren team battle is going to end up, because I think, and I hope, it'll be a really good battle between the two drivers. Alpha Tari are then the second team that are introducing a rookie. Nick DeVries is finally getting his shot in F1. He is definitely the rookie that is coming in with the most amount of experience, having driven in a different series and winning a world championship there. He's also raced in multiple FP1 sessions last year and driven an F1 race as a reserve driver already. He's the rookie that I'm expecting the most of because of all of that, to be honest. And I think a driver pairing with him and Yuki is going to be pretty good as long as the AlphaTauri car is better than it was in 2022. The final rookie that is entering the grid is taking a seat next to Alex Albon in the Williams, and that's Logan Sargent. He is going to be the only American on the grid and the only rookie that isn't coming up with any championships from F2 or F3. 
The Williams finished in last place in the Constructors in 2022, but I think Alex showed that there is some performance to be eked out of that car, but you really have to work at it, and I think that's just been the case with the Williams for a couple of years now. I don't know whether Logan's going to be able to do that straight away or not. Some of it might just depend on how easy that Williams is to drive, but his is going to be an interesting journey to see how well he can adjust to that car. We do have a returning driver this year as well, with Nico Hülkenberg linking up with Haas. This has to be one of the most interesting driver decisions for me. Gunter Steiner is being quite open about saying that the team wanted two experienced drivers in the car to help them maximise every race weekend. That way they're hopefully hauling points home, getting further up in the Constructors' Championship, which means more prize money that they can put towards building a better car. But Nico hasn't raced full-time since 2019. Three years is a really long time to spend out of an F1 car, and obviously a lot has changed in the car since then. He hasn't been out of the loop completely though, he's stepped in as a reserve driver a handful of times, but I still think it's an interesting choice for Haas to take. At this point though, I think they would rather a driver who's had a few years off of the grid compared to a complete rookie, because at least he's coming in with some experience and some knowledge. So those are all of our new and returning drivers that are coming onto the grid, but there are still some other changes and swaps that have happened. Alpine now have a completely French lineup in a French team, with Pierre Gasly now joining them. Look, I know that there's been some drama in the past with Esteban and Pierre, but I don't think there's going to be this huge blowout in Alpine like some people are thinking. I definitely think they're going to race each other hard, but I don't think it's going to be any worse than some of the other rivalries that teammates have across the grid. This has the potential to be a pretty strong driver lineup if both of them just get their heads down and actually want to work together. So I hope we don't get any drama and I hope we kind of see Alpine still fighting ahead and maybe moving up towards the top three teams. We've also got Fernando Alonso moving to Aston Martin, which wasn't exactly the move that I was expecting from him. Aston were definitely a team looking for a very experienced driver to be in that car after Sebastian announced his retirement, so it makes sense for the team in my opinion. For Fernando though, and look, no offence, I love Aston, but it feels like a downgrade in terms of where the teams are. When you look at Alpine compared to Aston Martin, most people would agree that the Alpine is a much better car to be in. So I don't know whether Fernando was just looking for a seat at that point because he knew that Alpine weren't going to renew his contract or at least not giving him the amount of views that he wanted. Or maybe there's some secret about Aston Martin that we don't know about yet. I mean, for all we know, it might be an absolute rocket on track this year, but right now definitely an interesting decision for Fernando to make. Drivers aren't the only movements in the teams though. We have team principals changing around as well. I won't be going into the ins and outs of who's going where since I did cover that in my 2022 season review last week, so head over to my last episode if you're interested in that. But 
I think we're in for an interesting season as Ferrari, McLaren, Williams and Alfa Romeo have a change in TP. I'm curious to see whether there's going to be any changes in the ways that the teams are managed and especially how the drivers are managed. I don't think McLaren are going to have as many issues as the other teams since their TP was already working within McLaren. For the other teams though, there could potentially be some issues as the TPs are coming in from different teams. So there might be a settling in period as they get used to the new drivers and dealing with them and getting to know the new personnel that they're working with. Saying that though, Alfa Romeo are in a bit of a unique position here. They don't actually have a team principal this year. What they've opted for is a team representative in the form of Alessandro Aluni Bravi, and I hope I pronounced that right, my apologies if I didn't. But from the sounds of it, he's going to be taking on all the responsibilities of a team principal on a race weekend, but just won't have the title of TP. Now, that might be because outside of a race weekend, the responsibilities of a team principal are then going to be shared with other people on the team, but I think Alfa Romeo are going to be an interesting team to keep an eye on with this new structure, especially as Audi starts their gradual takeover of the team. There are also a couple of rule changes this year that we can expect to see. A huge set of rule changes has to do with the poor poisoning that the vast majority of teams were facing in 2022. Understandably, the teams weren't happy to see their cars bouncing up and down, and eventually the FIA realised that they were going to need to step in with some safety measures for the upcoming season. So, from this year, the floor edge has to be raised by 15mm, the diffuser throat height has also been raised, and the diffuser edge stiffness has also been increased. Those three things should help in mitigating the effects of the porpoising. On top of that though, an extra sensor is now having to be placed on each car so that the FAA can measure the pore poising and can step in if they need to with any penalties if they find that the pore poising is getting too much and the teams aren't doing anything to help it. Safety requirements on the car have also been increased with roll hoops now needing to have a rounded top and this should mean that there's less of a chance of it digging into the ground in the case of an accident. The rule basically comes in after Joe Guanyu's horrific crash at Silverstone in 2022. The FIA reviewed the footage and what happened to the car and realised that there were extra safety measures that they could put in place to try and mitigate the harm that the drivers might face if they were in a crash. I know that there are some more safety measures and requirements coming in with the roll hoop in coming years, so 2024 and beyond, but it's just stuff that the FIA are still trying to iron out but I am all for anything that makes sure that the drivers are as safe as they can be if there is a crash. 2022 gave us some of the heaviest cars that we've seen in F1. The drivers had said throughout the season that they felt pretty sluggish to drive and it didn't help that some of the teams couldn't even reach the minimum weight limit, so they were just left with these overweight cars to drive. But in 2023, the minimum weight limit is being reduced by 2 kilograms from 798 to 796. So there's even more weight that the teams are going to be trying to shave off and I'm sure they're working frantically to make sure they're hitting that minimum weight. 
The next new rule comes in the form of the rearview mirrors. If you saw the Hungarian or Belgian Grand Prix last year, you might have seen some larger mirrors on the Red Bull and the Mercedes cars. And during the Dutch Grand Prix last year, every car had them on. Those wider rear view mirrors are going to be featuring on every car on the grid this year for every single race. They've basically had the width increased by 50mm to try and help visibility. The amount of times I've heard drivers, past and present, say that those mirrors are basically useless to them because they can't see anything properly, I am really hoping that these might give them some better visibility and we won't hear those same complaints, but I think we're going to actually have to wait until we see them racing with most of the circuits to see whether it's made that difference to them. I mentioned towards the beginning of the episode that F1 are increasing the number of sprint races and looking to simplify some of the rules surrounding Park Fermi during race weekends. In addition to that though, the sprint damage allowance is being doubled to $300,000. So basically last year each team was allowed an extra $150,000 allowance in the budget cap per sprint weekend for any damages the car might have had during the sprint race. That's now been doubled. In the era of the cost cap, that's probably useful for the teams that are able to reach the cost cap limit, but I think every team is still going to want the drivers to be extremely careful on a Saturday sprint so they don't have to break curfew while they try and rebuild the car in time for the race. On the topic of curfews though, teams are going to have a reduced number of hours that they're allowed to work during a race weekend. So staff are going to have to stop working on the cars an hour earlier on a Friday. And as well as that, the number of curfews that teams are permitted to break on a Wednesday and Thursday are going to be halved to four and three respectively. And F1 are looking to cut that down again in 2024. Restrictions on curfews are pretty tight in F1, like they are rules that the FIA really clamp down on if they see a team going over the number of curfews that they're permitted, and teams are already having to pick and choose when they'll think it's best to break curfew and when they think, no, we could probably leave the car and work on it in the morning again. So I think that the teams and drivers are going to be even more wary of how they spend their time now and how they deal with any damage. One of the things I'm most interested to see in 2023 is this new quality format that they're going to be testing out in two races this season. At the moment, teams have their choice in quality tyres. You can choose whatever tyres you want to use during quality. If you really want to go out on a set of hards, you can. There is no one stopping you. It just might not be the best idea. Obviously, most of the teams do opt to use soft tyres unless there's a wet quality when obviously the intermediates and the wets are being used. But in two quality events this year, there are going to be mandated tyre compounds. In Q1, only hard tyres can be used. In Q2, only mediums. And in Q3, only then can the teams start to use soft tyres. I don't know whether I like this rule too much, guys. I kind of like when we see teams taking a chance on a set of mediums because they think they're super safe 
or when we see a team decide that they're going to use old soft tyres because they really want to keep a set of new softs for the race and it obviously has a knock-on effect for strategy then. I think it's just something that makes the races so much more interesting. How many soft tyres do you actually risk using in quality compared to the race? Which races are more starting position dependent and which races offer more chances for overtaking? Is your car built for overtaking or do you really need to keep that starting position? But one of the main reasons that F1 want to do this sort of new quality format is so that they can save on the number of tyres that are going to waste on a race weekend. Because basically any unused tyres have to be recycled by Pirelli. They aren't allowed just to go to another race weekend. So they are trying to cut back on how many tyres I think that they can take to the race and then how many actually get wasted. This is just a test right now to see if it would work to implement in later years, but I'm curious to see whether it's going to make any actual difference, whether it'll help or hinder the teams, and whether strategy might get a little bit more predictable or boring because of it, or whether it opens the doors for strategy even more. So I don't think F1 have yet announced which races they're using this quality format in, so we'll see what happens there. DRS has been a huge talking point in F1 for a little while now and there is a change being made to it in 2023. In previous seasons, if a safety car came out during a race, drivers had to wait for two laps when the safety car went back to the pits for DRS to be activated again. During all the sprint races this year though, they're going to be trialling activating after one lap and I think there's the potential to have some issues here. Tyres are normally a lot colder when the drivers are following a safety car. They really struggle to bring heat into them. I mean, we've heard the driver radios when they're complaining that the safety car is going too slowly and that's because they're just losing the heat out of the tyres. Losing heat in the tyres means that they don't have as much grip during a restart. So if a car behind you has much warmer tyres, you're going to really struggle to fight off that car and you're likely to lose your position because of it. So I think bringing DRS a lap earlier might cause some more skids and uncontrolled cars because if the tyres haven't heated up properly yet, they're going to have no proper grip. I mean, we've seen how punchy the drivers can get on restarts anyway and then adding DRS in one lap earlier, it could cause problems. But this is just another one of those things that F1 and the FAA want to trial and see if it works. And if it doesn't, we probably won't see it introduced into the races. And if it does, we might see in later years it coming into all of the Grand Prix. I'm not sure how many of you remember the Italian Grand Prix last year. In particular, I wonder how many of you remember the mess that happened after Quali. If you do you might just remember how much of a mess it was to figure out the starting grid. We essentially had Lewis, Max, Checo, Valtteri, Carlos and Yuki, that was six drivers, all taking grid penalties as they took on extra power units and some extra gearboxes out of their allowance. Absolutely no one was quite sure how the penalties were meant to be applied, I think I saw at least three or four different variations on how the starting grid might look like. It took, I'm pretty sure, longer than usual for the FIA to even release their confirmed starting grid for the race. 
so there was just confusion all around with this one. It was just a mess. I mean, there were just so many variations because nobody actually knew how the penalty rules would be applied with that many drivers taking on penalties. So this year, the FIA are trying to tidy up some of that confusion since they've updated the wording on the regulations. So now, any driver who's been told that they have a 15 plus place grid drop or been told that they're going to be starting at the back of the grid will start behind any of the other drivers and their position then will be determined on their qualifying place. So hopefully we can avoid the mess at Monza because it was so confusing to figure out who was going where. Those are some of the biggest changes that are coming into 2023. Some are here to stay, some are only around for a trial, but it'll be interesting to see how some of them pan out and whether or not it's gonna actually affect the team's performance and whether it will help improve the safety of the drivers. Overall though, 2023 looks like it's going to be packed with action between new rules and new drivers and we really don't have that long to wait. Testing is just around the corner and I am beyond excited to see the drivers hit the track. Make sure you listen for next week's episode where I'm going to be talking about my 2023 predictions and the predictions that you guys have. So thank you guys and Diolchen Barra for listening. Make sure you subscribe on your favourite podcast platform so that you never miss an episode and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at stewards underscore office. And I'll see you guys the next time that you're summoned to the steward's office.